And, and a lot of this is around the theme of what uh, uh, former Defense Secretary Mattis said was unleash us from the tether of fuel. He said that way yeah. back, um, you know, when he was, was in command in, in Afghanistan. And he recognized that uh, the fuel supply, supply lines actually slow down um, and, and hinder the, the warfighting ability. And so he wanted to get away from that. And, and he was, uh, my understanding, a very big champion of microreactors. Welcome to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Andrew Holland. This week, we have a conversation with Mark Nickel, the Senior Director for New Reactors at the Nuclear Energy Institute, where we talk about microreactors and their promise for the Department of Defense. For about a year, I've been really excited about the promise of powering the military with nuclear power. This story goes back 17 years to the 1st Marine Division's drive to Baghdad, where speed was paramount, and the commander, Major General Jim Mattis, would bemoan the time it took to refuel the vehicles. He would later call to unleash us from the tether of fuel, as attacks on fuel and water convoys in Iraq became the single largest source of casualties during the war. The military would indeed respond by investing in renewable power and energy efficiency over this last decade, undoubtedly saving lives. But fuel is still needed. Diesel is still tracked across the battlefield. New microreactors would sever the fuel tether completely. In our conversation, we talked about how nuclear power and innovations into all electric units could provide tactical advantages that could save lives and win wars. ASP hosted an event on this topic back in October 2019, and several of our board members have written op-eds in favor of it. See our show notes for more. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Now let's get on to the show. Mark Nickel, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Andrew. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Making it through. Yeah, not, yeah making it through. Not, not, not too bad. So everything's yeah. uh, continuing to move. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about microreactors today, nuclear microreactors and their uh, use by the Department of Defense. Let's start with the basics here. You've been working uh, around uh, nuclear policy for a long time. Um, what are microreactors? How are they different from what we usually think of as the, the, the ways we generate electricity here in the United States and, and uh, what mm-hmm. are their uses? Yeah, so so I'm really excited about microreactors. They're they're really a, a novel concept of of a nuclear reactor. If most people know that nuclear reactors are about a thousand megawatts in size. They they are big and they power big cities. Uh, microreactors are just that. They're very very small. Uh, rather than a thousand megawatts, these are on the order of one to ten megawatts. Uh, if, if, if you think of it in another way, they're, they're about the size of diesel generators that you might find uh, powering small, uh, you know, loads that, that, that are small in size. So, so the, the size of micro reactors really sets them apart from, from traditional reactors. Now, uh, how do they work? Are they just, you know, these, these big gigawatt scale uh, reactors just shrunken down or... You know what's the basics? How do they how do they work? Yeah, they're 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 almost uh, nothing nothing like uh, the, the large reactors. <laughs> exactly. Well, the large reactors we have today, uh, they they operate with water as their coolant, and uh, they they have a very particular design of of fuel. Micro reactors don't don't have any of those those features. Uh, they have different features. Now they're 
like the big nuclear reactors we're familiar with, they're all based on the fission uh, reaction mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's different is that uh, because they're so much smaller, they can use, uh, they, they, they don't need to use as many uh, moving parts. They, they can really rely a lot more on natural physics. And that means that without uh, all of these moving parts, you really simplify the system. And simplification actually has a lot of safety benefits associated with it. So, mm -hmm. uh, so the, the coolants, there, there could be multiple coolants. Um, you could have a gas-cooled reactor. You could have a, a liquid metal-cooled reactor. Uh, the fuel itself can take different forms. There's a, a really interesting fuel that's being developed and the one that Department of Defense is most interested in right now called trisofuel. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and one of the other things that, that they're able to do, there's a, a technology called heat pipe technology. And before, before I learned about microreactors, I had no idea what that, that was. Heat pipe technology is, is a way of conducting heat from one place to another that uses just what it sounds like our, 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 our uh, pipes. Mm -hmm. And those pipes, uh, they're, they're not what you might consider for, you know, for, for lots of fluid flow through a pipe. These, are, these have a lot of capillaries. So I, I picture them as like sponges. Hmm. And the cool thing about that is they can transfer heat almost instantaneously. And so as the, the reactor heats up, cools down, the response on the other side is almost just as fast. And so... That, that helps, one, in terms of performance. So now you can control the, the output much more quickly, and that, that's going to have a lot of advantages as you shrink the size because you need to be more responsive to the system and load. Mm -hmm. um, but, but also that responsiveness uh, does also have some, some benefits in, in the safety side, you know, be, being able to respond to um, unanticipated, um, uh, unanticipated conditions. Interesting. And, and then these, uh, these still generate electricity, right? So they, they generate electricity in kind of the standard way of running a turbine sort of thing? Yeah, de depends. There, there are, you know, microreactors isn't a single technology. There's sure. a lot of different technology. Um, now, at, at the heart of everything is they're producing heat. And, mm -hmm. and that's the same with the large reactors. Essentially, yeah. they're heat producers. And, and, and so it's a matter of converting that heat into to electricity. Uh, some designs might uh, convert the heat and run a traditional type of turbine generator. There's also uh, different types of energy conversion systems, uh, a Stirling machine, uh, which, which is, which is um, uh, somewhat understood in other, other areas as well is a way of more directly converting heat to electricity. Um, I think the Stirling is, is even more interesting as you get to, to very small applications that you might use for uh, for space or something like that. Cool, yeah. And and just for like terminology uh, ideas, we, we've heard a lot about small modular reactors, SMRs, and that is different mm -hmm. from a micro reactor. SMRs are in the, the what, 100 uh, megawatt scale or something like that, right? Yeah, the definition of an SMR is less than 300 megawatts. Uh, yeah. There, there are some designs of SMRs that are in uh, the 60 megawatts or, or even a, a little bit less. So they can SMRs themselves can get quite small, um, and and they really are in between 
the large reactors and micro reactors in, in terms of how they use more inherent uh, features that use, use physics uh, as opposed to moving parts. Um, but it's not until you really get into the micro reactor uh, territory, which is that one to 10 megawatt range, and it could be slightly larger or smaller, but it's not until you get into that range where you really break through um, into systems that, that look just completely different. Right, right. Yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure we had that terminology all down because, you know, people may have heard a lot more about SMRs that, and not be familiar yet with, with microreactors. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I can speak personally and, and about ASP. We got excited about microreactors when uh, I think first talking to you and, and your, um, your colleagues at, at NEI uh, a couple of years ago now. Uh, about how this was coming in and because of its potential applications to the Department of Defense for the military. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they're obvious, you know, if you're able to put, uh, you know, some, some sort of small centralized power source of one to 10 megawatts out there in the battlefield, and you don't have to use uh, fuel, you know, we use huge trains of, of uh, convoys of, of liquid fuel, uh, petroleum fuel to get out onto the battlefield. Uh, if you start have to, if you don't have to have that, um, it creates a real logistics opportunity. And so, of course, mm -hmm. ASP, we had our, our an event on this back in October of of last year, and we've had a couple a couple of our board members have written op eds on how it could be relevant to their branches. Uh, general Chrisman, who was a Army uh, retired general, mm -hmm. wrote about the logistics advantages for the Army and, and General Sipe wrote one about how this could be uh, important for the, the Air Force as they, they modernize their fleets. Uh, so mm -hmm. um, maybe we, we should just kind of walk through that, you know, how, how, would, uh, how would nuclear work on the battlefield? How would these micro, micro reactors, uh, what's the Army, what's the, the military thinking about as they, they begin to, to try and take advantage of this technology? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's 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 what we have to understand is is what's the value of of the micro reactors? Why why are they really necessary? And I, I want to start just for a second at mm -hmm. at sort of how we got to this point in time. Sure. As as I look back, it was in the early 2010s um, that that Congress had had asked uh, the Defense Science Board to to go out and and look at you know what are future energy needs. And they issued a report in the mid mid 2010s, and and they looked at all potential energy sources and what the future uh, looks like, and and how the military needs to be successful. And their conclusion is that very small nuclear reactors are are the only solution, uh, really, that that can provide what they they need uh, in terms of resiliency and and, and reliability. Um, at that time, there really wasn't micro reactors. They they came a little bit later, and and from that point in in time, uh, the Army actually issued a paper in 2018 that that outlines what their vision of micro reactors would be. Um, and of course, Congress has has been very supportive uh, along the way. As as we look at well, what what will these actually do for for the military? I I put them into uh, four categories. Um, okay. And, and a lot of this is around the theme of what uh, uh, former Defense Secretary Mattis said was unleash us from the tether of fuel. He said that way yeah. back 
um, you know, when he was was in command in, in Afghanistan, and he recognized that uh, the fuel supply supply lines actually slow down um, and and hinder the the warfighting ability, and yeah. so he wanted to get away from that, and and he was, uh, my understanding, a very big champion of micro reactors. So so the first category that that I like to talk about is what I call more fight less fuel. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we could achieve today when once microreactors are able to be deployed. And that concept is that today the the military uses a lot of resources just to transport fuel um to where it's needed to to mm-hmm. to create energy. Mm-hmm. And that's not just in terms of dollar cost, that's in terms of manpower that's in terms of uh equipment and and military vehicles that are all, all their whole function is to transport fuel and so if you have a micro reactor that can operate let's say about 10 years without refueling you no longer need that fuel resupply infrastructure you can take all those resources that were supplying fuel and direct them toward war fighting uh, capabilities, which in my opinion would would make the the military that much stronger, and this fits into the continuum that that the DoD has been thinking about. Really, like like you said, for the last decade, they've been using solar power and increased mm-hmm. efficiency and 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 other ways to reduce fuel load, and it kind of fits along that as as this is sort of the the next generation of that that sort of uh, high tech. Uh, low energy use. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I like how you put that sort of the next generation, because even what we see in the commercial areas that um, renewables can only get you so far. And because because they're they're dependent on on the wind and and the Mm -hmm. sun, um, you're going to need a what we like to call firm, clean uh, supply source and nuclear is a firm, clean supply source. So so that's that's particularly yeah, important even for the military. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. back to number two. So, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So the second one I like to call infinite endurance. And if you have a source like a micro reactor, it can operate for ten years without refueling. It can operate twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year for those ten years. Um, you now are completely independent from. Uh, energy disruptions uh, mm-hmm. because you're producing that power uh, locally and and you're not relying on that supply chain. Um, by the way, that power source can purify water. It can uh, do a lot of other things like create synthetic fuel. So it's mm-hmm. not just a matter of electricity or, or heat. Mm-hmm. It can help in a lot more areas. And and one of the things I I like to think about, you know, what does an infinite endurance mean and why is it beneficial? So. Let's let's just take a hypothetical situation where we have um, a facility out in on an island in, in the middle of the Pacific, and uh, you know one of our adversaries decides to blockade that island and essentially uh, starve it uh, uh, out of you know into submission. Mm-hmm. Well, if if you're relying on a resupply of fuel, that can happen in a matter of days. If you've got a micro reactor that can operate for ten years you have time to wait for reinforcements to come and help liberate uh, that, that you from that yeah. blockade. So that's, that, right. that's the difference. And, and especially if that, uh, that forward <clears throat> location is doing, is, has some very mission critical activities like radar, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's uh, missile, missile defense systems, those sorts of things that, that really do 
protect not just our forces afield, but also back here, us back here at home. And of course, this is kind of the principle that uh, America's nuclear submarine fleet operates under infinite endurance, mm-hmm. able to stay underwater for, for a long time. And of course, they're, they're powered by nuclear reactors. So Absolutely. they're able to stay out and on patrol for as long, basically, until their food runs out. They're not going to run out of mm-hmm. air or water or anything for that same reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then, then the third one I like to call is enabling the military of the future. And this is especially a theme of the Army, who, which has a vision of, of an electrified Army. And so just generally, a lot of military tech is headed toward being powered by by electricity or energy. Uh, You can think of direct energy weapons, that sort of thing. And so what we know is is that as you increase the energy needs of our military, you're going to obviously need more energy sources. And uh, especially you need reliable energy sources, and microreactors can do that. Microreactors can provide a very high quality of power at very high levels. And so not only uh, would microreactors enable these, these, these advanced uh, weaponry, but it could, in, 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 in fact, increase the capabilities of that, that weaponry as well. Mm-hmm. So these are things like and, guns or, or directed energy laser weapons or, or stuff like that. But I, I thought it was really interesting, too, in, in researching this, that when when the army starts talking about an all electric brigade, they're even thinking of their vehicles as being electric, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the next generation tanks, even, you know, and tanks, mm-hmm. tanks mm-hmm. of the future, an electric tank wouldn't look the same as an M1 uh, Abrams tank yeah. uh, for obvious reasons. You wouldn't have to have a giant fuel tank that you'd have to protect from enemy fire, mm-hmm. but it, mm-hmm. it would be a different sort of thing. And, but it, it could do the same sort of mission set. Absolutely. And, and yeah. if those, those tanks are battery powered, you need to, to be able to replenish those batteries. Yeah. Um, or if they're powered by, by hydrogen sources, you need uh, micro reactors can generate hydrogen yeah. uh, that, that, could, that could power those as well. Yeah. 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 In, in a lot of ways, the, the military right now is it's running on the same fuel source that it was running on during World War II. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, petroleum mm-hmm. fuels. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's just using a lot more of them. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the army today uses much more fuel per soldier uh, than, than the army of 1944, 1945. Uh, and, yep. uh, and of course, it's more powerful and, and more effective, but that supply lines, that tether of fuel, as General, General Mattis said, needs to be protected. And, and as we learned in Iraq and Afghanistan, was probably the most vulnerable part. You know, I think, I think mm-hmm. a third of the casualties in Iraq uh, were from convoys carrying fuel and water. So it, it, not, a- not an insignificant yeah. uh, problem. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we can't forget about the, the loss of life uh, mm-hmm. along these supply lines. And, and as you're able to eliminate the need for these supply lines, you're, you're actually uh, saving soldiers' lives, which yeah. is really incalculable yeah. um, how, how valuable that is. Yeah. Um, so the and, fourth category. So the, the fourth category. So, so the fourth category is a little different. The, okay. the first three categories are all centered around increasing the lethality of our, our military, um, which, which is essentially meaning that they're more effective. 
um, and it's increasing our superiority over our, our adversaries. Mm-hmm. The fourth one is humanitarian uh, and disaster relief. Mm. And so there, m- most people don't know, there are a lot of uh, calls for our military to respond and help in humanitarian and, and disaster uh, relief areas. And one of the most important things uh, for those, those relief efforts is, is energy energy in the form of electricity uh, to be able to help keep things uh, going, uh, refrigeration even, um, but also that energy which can desalinate water and help provide uh, clean water because sometimes after um, some of these disasters, you don't even have access to, to yeah. clean water locally. So, so that's, that's where these micro reactors can be very valuable. Uh, you could put that, you know, the military could use those in their humanitarian uh, relief efforts. And, and just one closer to home is uh, if, if you remember Hurricane Maria that went mm-hmm. through Puerto Rico several years ago, um, just, uh, you know, wiped out a, a lot of, uh, of their, their infrastructure. They really needed uh, um, outside resupply for, for energy. And, and even at the time, I remember uh, Department of Energy Secretary Perry at the time saying, what we really need is a micro reactor that would fit on the back of a uh, an airplane that we could fly down there, install uh, rapidly and restore power to this area. And and that's what a micro reactor is. Yeah. And they they weren't able to do that, didn't exist. And and power was down for months there and everything. Mm -hmm. And and it was a a real hindrance to to the recovery. Yeah. Power is a real enabler of relief and recovery efforts. And I think that that's an incredibly important thing to, to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, uh, yep. really important in, in a good sort of way. Um, so, okay, so here, those are the four sort of benefits and ideas. What's the status? What, you know, it, that's the reason that, you know, we care about it. Why, but mm-hmm. um, what we, we do know Department of Defense has started to, to think about how to do this. What, what's the next steps and where are they now in, in this process? Yeah, so, so the Department of Defense is moving on this. They, they actually have um, uh, two, two efforts. Uh, one is on stationary reactors. Those would be for domestic uses at remote mm-hmm. bases. Um, and, and my understanding is, is that the Air Force is, is the, uh, the military branch that, that is sort of taking a lead here and uh, they're, they're really looking into this. This relates to some legislation. Um, I think it was, it was FY19 legislation that Congress asked. It was actually the Department of Energy to write a report on how can we use microreactors at domestic military bases. And so that's, that's all related there. Uh, the, other, the other effort is related to what they call mobile uses. Uh, mm-hmm. And this relates to the Army report that came out. Um, the uh, Strategic Capabilities Office at the Department of Defense has launched a, a demonstration project. They call it Project Pele. Uh, that Project Pele is looking to demonstrate the, the feasibility uh, and mobility features for microreactors. And these would be for more outside the, the United States applications. Mm-hmm. That, um, that Project Pele is underway. They actually selected uh, three companies to uh, develop their designs. Uh, those companies are BWXT, Westinghouse, and X-Energy. And, uh, and, and along the way, they're going to uh, ultimately select a design to, to build and demonstrate uh, 
we're, we're expecting probably that would, would conclude around 2024. So we would actually see how microreactors can perform and better understand their, their resilience features um, and ability to serve within the uh, conditions that, that they're intended to, to serve. Um, so, so, so there, that's, there would that's, be tests, that's where they're going. Some there. sort of test, test uh, reactor uh, by 2024 is the, is the timeline. As yeah, their, their, their vision right now is to demonstrate it at the Idaho National Laboratory. Uh -huh. And so they would get it up and running in, at Idaho National Laboratory. There would be some transportation of the reactor. They would obviously shut the reactor down, transport it, uh, and turn it back on just to show that you can uh, do that with, with a microreactor. Yeah, yeah, so really interesting. And, and you mentioned as we were starting, uh, the fuel, triso fuel, and that, that's something that's also mm -hmm. being developed and, and tested through INL, right? And, you know, what, uh, what yeah. is that, what is that um, what's the benefits of having that for uh, sort of battlefield use and, and why, why triso? Yeah, yeah so, so triso, and, and actually it's, it's not a new idea. It's, it's been going through about 20 years of testing and validation. So it's a very mature new fuel. Uh, and, and essentially what it is, you combine uranium with carbon and then you put them into what's called a little kernel and, and surround it by carbon, uh, put it into a, a little, um, you know, pebble thing and, and combine those. And so it's, it's really a way of encapsulating uranium and, mm -hmm. and the fission products as, as it, as it operates so that it's, very, very difficult for them to be released in any type of, of, of conditions. So uh, triso fuels able to withstand very high temperatures. Uh, if it were to experience a kinetic attack, it would more likely fracture into large, um, uh, large pieces rather than uh, sort of materialize and, and, and get into the, to the air. So those are the features. That's why DUD is very interested in this uh, because it's much more robust, and uh, they they they're expecting that it'll be able to to meet the performance requirements in in the areas they're they're looking to deploy these. Yeah, and so that that's part of the the way that that makes these safe enough to to deploy in the battlefield because that mm -hmm. that's that's an yeah. important thing to yeah. think about. You know, you don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that this is something that isn't going to be a danger to the operators, to the, mm -hmm. uh, to the people going with them. Um, what's right. the other sort of safety uh, thoughts on, on these and how does? Yeah, and, and so, yeah, there, there, there are other safety features being introduced in terms yeah. of automatic operations that'll actually help to, to reduce the need for, uh, for, for training and, and um, number of, of people to, to operate these. One thing I do want to mention, and it's yeah. related to this safety question, because a lot of people are focused on, well, is it going to be safe in a battlefield area? What if it's near an adversary, they attack it? Or what if an adversary yeah. tries to, um, you know, steal this microreactor technology and make a dirty bomb out of it or even reprocess the fuel? Yeah. And, and those are all questions that DOD is aware of and, and they're working through. They're going to be doing tests and, 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 and a lot of thinking in, in terms of how they address those. But the thing I wanted to point out, which is really important, is that the battlefield is not the first place that they're planning on, on using these. Mm -hmm. There are strategic, I'll call them strategic command centers, that are hundreds of miles away from the front lines 
that have very high power uh, equipment that's mission critical, things like radar uh, yeah. and, and, and that sort of stuff that can really benefit from micro reactors. So, right so yeah. there's, there's, yeah, right now. So, so there's a clear need for these, for these areas, those, those, those uses. Um, and now the question on whether will they ever be deployed in the battlefield? Uh, the general thinking is that, that they, they, they should be able to demonstrate they can. Uh, but at this point, I think everybody's thinking is it has to be proven before you try and do that. And so, right. so yeah, that I, I believe that's part of DOD's long range plans is to do the testing and, and prove that it'll actually be safe in these battlefield environments. There's a lot of work to do there, um, but they're, they're not, they're not unaware of what needs to be done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> for anybody to be unaware, you know, would be to, to be, uh, not thinking it through. But meanwhile, I mean, you talked about our adversaries as well. This is not something that our adversaries aren't unaware of either. The Russians have, mm -hmm. have, have long been thinking about and, and doing work on mobile reactors. They've deployed a new uh, floating mobile reactor for Arctic use. And of course, they're mm -hmm. militarizing their Arctic a lot. The Chinese have talked about these, these sorts of applications, especially for their uh, South China Sea uh, island bases mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it only makes sense for us to be similarly uh, thinking about and planning for how to deploy these. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a really good, a really good point that a lot of people don't think about is that the argument is not just for the, our, our military to develop this technology so they can improve their capabilities. But looking at it as if our adversaries are developing this capability, they will actually have, um, you know, they, they will actually develop superiorities. Um, and, and is that something that we want to allow um, or, or do we want to maintain our, our, um, our, our advantages? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who, who you know, if you think about this, the Navy has successfully deployed and safely deployed um, hundreds of uh, mm -hmm. mobile nuclear reactors for over 50 mm -hmm. years, 60 years now. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So these are, you know, it does take a building a safety culture and planning for mm -hmm. it and thinking through all of the eventualities. But I think there's a lot of lessons mm -hmm. that the other services can take from the Navy and how they've successfully mm -hmm. done it. And they've, they've reaped rewards on the battlefield for it. You know, there's certain mm -hmm. things that submarines and aircraft carriers uh, do that they wouldn't be able to do uh, were they mm -hmm. not powered by, by nuclear power. So uh, right. I think that, that this is an, an important uh, area to think about and, and you know, we, we can't just cede it to our adversaries here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a, that's a good place to, uh, to close this up. Uh, we do like to, to end as a last question here to, to uh, you know, ASP is not, uh, doesn't chase the headlines of today, but kind of thinks about what the headlines are going to be tomorrow. And of course, we've been talking about this this whole time. But what's a headline, say, in, in 10 years uh, that you think we should be working towards on this? You know, deployment mm -hmm. of, of the, the, you know, these to a uh, humanitarian assistance program? Or, or what, what do you think? What, what are we working towards? What's the goal? 
Yeah, I, I would say that the, the headline 10 years from now, in, in my view, is, is something along the lines of the U.S. military has, um, it has, has increased its capabilities um, and, and modernized the military electri- through electrification, all made possible by this, this wonderful uh, invention called the microreactor. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's something to work towards. Well, great. Mark Nichols, thanks for being with us. Um, where can people go if they want to learn more about microreactors? Um, yeah, thank you, Andrew. Uh, NEI, the www.nei.org, uh, has uh, a couple of papers that we've put together on microreactors, including uh, uh, the timelines for the deployment of the stationary ones here in, in the United States. Uh, we've also uh, talked about the costs for, for microreactors and, and what it takes to get them, them uh, approved by the, the regulator. Um, and so uh, that would be a great place to start. Yeah, we'll put that on. And on of course, you all have a, a wonderful paper as well. I was, I was about to say, we'll, we'll put that on the notes and we'll make sure that, that, you, that the, a link to ASP's paper on this issue and also the, the op-eds by our, our board members are all, all mm-hmm. linked on the, the show notes page. Uh, Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day.